0: Truth. 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 Welcome
1: to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolly, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. How you doing? This is Samuel Tolly, Trusting the Truth. Um, several weeks ago, I was scrolling. Online and I ran into a post of a friend of mine and the post said this To all and all is all capital letters my friends I warned of global warming Capitalized the G and the W. I think it makes a difference who called it a hoax and said I was crazy and misled Let me say this and loud for those in the back. Global warming is real. And this, and then he writes in capital letters, can you hear me now? Well, um, I don't think my friend is crazy, but I do think, and he's misled. I think there's many people that have been misled And let me preface everything by saying that I am speaking purely from a biblical perspective as a Bible believing Christian. And this podcast is directed to Bible believing Christians. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining a lot of scriptural references, but I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptural references. Bible believing Christians should know these scriptures. They should know the references, but I will try to break them down somewhat. And if there are someone that doesn't understand certain things and they um, need further clarification, please let me know. And I will certainly get back to you. But as a Christian, climate change or the theory of climate change or this whole phenomenon is antithetical to the word of God. But let me back up and let me get started <clears throat> and let's see if we can make some sense of this whole thing. We're gonna start off here with what I call the fear of climate change. But before we had the fear of climate change, we, it was the fear of global warming and before we had the fear of global warming, many people don't realize this, but we had the fear of the new ice age. And before we had the fear of the new ice age, we had the fear of overpopulation. It doesn't stop there. Before the fear of overpopulation, we had the mat. The Mathesian, and I'm pronouncing that wrong doctrine, and I will get into that. And long before the Mathusian doctrine was disobedience, man's disobedience to God, which birthed non-reverential fear. All this stuff precipitated before we got to where we are now. And I'm going to try to walk us back up that ladder so we can get an idea of what the heck is going on. So, let's continue. We're going to get into talking about fear. I want to talk about two different concepts of fear. There is what I call reverential fear and non-reverential fear. Man was designed for reverential fear. We were designed to have a reverent, uh, holy you know, feeling toward God. I mean, if you can imagine, just like a little child and their parents, you, you saw your parents, they were important. They were the most important thing. Well, God is supposed to be the most important thing to a Christian. And reverential fear, like it says in Proverbs 9 and 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The Christian fear for the Christian is supposed to be this awestruck fear of God. Not not this horrified, uh, non-reverential, like you're afraid of him. But you're in awe of him and you worship him and you adore him. And he is all and everything. Just like when Moses was, was in front of the bush and God said, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. That is supposed to be our attitude, a reverential fear of God. And Psalms 34 and seven says, and the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. We, we, we as Christians, we live for God. You know, everything about Him is important to us. You know, unfortunately, many of us don't take Him seriously as we should. Or unfortunately, many of us have taken Him for granted. Now, when I talk about non reverential fear, you know, this is a term people may not understand, but it's quite simple. Non reverential fear is the fear that entered man at the point of disobedience. It entered Adam. God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. They did. And once they did, sin entered them. And it produced fear. When God came into the garden and said, where are you? What did Adam say? Genesis chapter three, verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Most of us focused on the fact that he said he was naked. We can see from our life experience that being unclosed in front of strangers or something is not a good thing. And, and, not, and most of us feel totally uncomfortable with it. We tend to forget that he before he said that he was naked, he was afraid. He was afraid of God who he communed with daily in the garden that God set him up. He was afraid. Fear entered him because sin entered him because of his disobedience. And what does it say in Proverbs 29 and 25? The fear of man brings a snare. That's another word for a trap. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. You know, Christians, some Christians that don't have a lack of understanding, they are, you know, they, 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 we, we talk about the fact that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. And if a novice hears that, they don't know what the heck you talk about. And some Christians, they think it means, well, you know what, I'm just supposed to believe God and I'm just supposed to walk out here and, and, and or, or whatever, whatever happens. There's a more to it than that. Walking by faith. It's not faith in just anything, but it's faith in the word of God and trusting in God and and what God said and believing God and and holding on to his very existence. What he said, what he said more than what man says. And if we trust God, then we don't have to deal with non reverential fear, because no matter what happens, we're going to be with him. The, The Christian that really understands and knows who he is. Will stand up in the face of death. They say, uh, with the bishop, uh, I can't even think of his name right now. The guy was 86 years old. Anyway, they said, Look, we don't want to kill you. Just sprinkle a little incense to Caesar. Well, he wouldn't do it. He said, For 86 years, God has not, you know, came against him. He's not going to go against him now. You know, all the disciples, the apostles all died except for John, because they knew if they died, they would live. It didn't matter. They trusted God. That's our reverential fear. That's our trust. So I just wanted to get an idea of fear. So man, unregenerated man, and unfortunately, many men and women in the church have been operating on non reverential fear fear of what's going to happen because they're told that things are crazy but that's not all that was happening with them so i want to talk to you about this other this individual what i call uh, <clears throat> it's not what i call it, thomas mathis this person many of us have been influenced with and don't even realize it. You know, this guy presented a theory, a doctrine many years ago that basically said that if the more the population increases, the less uh, the world will be able to sustain the population. Very contrary to what God says, which we will get into later on. And so there was a problem that we needed to control the population. We needed to control people because too many people would hoard and and get rid of too much stuff. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Reuben, I mean, Robert Zubrin wrote a book called Merchants of Despair, Environmentalists, Criminal Pseudoscientists, and the Fatal Code of Anti-Humanism. And I want to show you a little excerpt from this gentleman, what he was saying about Mr. Um, Malthus. There is a single ideological current running through a seemingly uh, desperate collection of noxious modern political and scientific movements ranging from militarism, imperialism, racism, xenophobia, and radical environmentalism to socialism nazism and totalitarianism communism this is the ideology of anti-humanism the belief that the human race is a horde of vermin whose unconstrained aspirations and appetites endanger the natural order and that tyrannical measures are necessary to constrain humanity The founding prophet of modern anti-humanism is Thomas Malthus, 1766 to 1834, who offered a pseudo-scientific basis for the idea that human reproduction always outruns available resources. Following this pessimistic and inaccurate assessment of the capacity of human ingenuity to develop new resources, Marthas advocated oppressive policies that led to the starvations of millions in India and Ireland. Uh, They were referring to when the British Empire ruled over those nations and mistreated people. But Marthas' ideology helped usher in the, the, the overpopulation idea. The, the fact that the fossil fuels are, is destroying the world, all of these things can be traced back to this guy. Even eugenics in the United States can be traced to him. Look at something Martha said. Mothers asserts that the population constantly exerts pressure on the means of subsistence. that as production is increased, population increases in the same proportion and that the inherent tendency of population to multiply beyond the available means of subsistence is the cause of all poverty and all vice. Now, the consequence of this theory is that since it is precisely the poor who constitutes the surplus, nothing ought to To be done for them, except to make it easy as possible for them to starve to death, to convince them that this is their state of affairs cannot be altered and that there is no salvation for their entire class other than that they should propagate as little as possible. That means they should stop having kids or that if this is not practical, it is at any rate, better that the state institutions for the painless killing of children should be set up. Here we go. We had to talk about overpopulation. We're talking about killing kids. (laughs) This is guy died in 1884, right? Look what happened a hundred years later. Let's go to after Mothis, go to overpopulation. I wanna show you a couple of little clips from news articles. Um, <clears throat> I think both of us from California, I can't really tell, but this, the top one, state population to double by 2040. Babies to blame. Here we are, overpopulation. The Martha's doctrine is polluting inside the thinking of people. So babies are to blame. Now in this second article, can't read everything in it, but I want to read starting on the second to the last paragraph on the first column. And I'm just going to read that one and the following column just to give you a flavor of it. Or that the problem involves only underdeveloped countries like India, not the United States, or that scientists and advanced technology will soon be able to prove, excuse me, provide for the masses anyway, by recycling used resources like water, infertile soil, and garbage waste into useful commodities. Uh, Then, I can't read that below. Uh, Mothers, a controllable force may be just as lethal as any of the uncontrollable forces of nature that could wipe out mankind. Family planners advocate, that the idea of family has two children, one to replace a mother and one to pr- replace a father. But any additional beyond that contributes to, and they use a play on word instead of population, pop pollution. Like you, too many people are polluting the, the world. But they fear too many people shrug the problem off as a, another country or economic stratus problem, even though America are the biggest offenders. Now I'm not going to stop right here. When I grew up, having families of seven or more babies was normal. And you know what? It's biblical too. This idea that we only can have two because it's overpopulation. Where'd that come from? That came back from this Mathis guy. That is not Bible. And we're going to get into the Bible, but I want to keep moving. So we went from fear to the Malthusian doctrine to overpopulation. Well, the next scare, and so all these things are scare tactics to scare the hell out of people. The next one, when I was a young man in the 70s, many people was the coming ice age. I got like a little uh, two minute and 15 second clip that I want you to watch on the coming ice age take a look at this okie dokie let's see where it pops up here i got so much stuff
2: all right at least eight times in the past million years it has advanced and retreated with clockwork regularity if we are unprepared for the next advance the result could be hunger and death on a scale unprecedented in all of history. What scientists are telling us now is that the threat of an ice age is not as remote as they once thought. During the lifetime of our grandchildren, arctic cold and perpetual snow could turn most of the inhabitable portions of our planet into a polar desert. In 1977, the worst winter in a century struck the United States. Arctic cold ripped the Midwest for weeks on end. Great blizzards paralyzed cities of the Northeast. One desperate night in Buffalo, eight people froze to death in marooned cars. Pat Bushnell was on the road that night.
0: Traffic just absolutely stopped. I was afraid of being stuck in the car all night long with the uh, cold and the wind running out of gas. And then what? I think that if we had to go through of a real bad winter, just like we just went through, I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else.
2: Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Sea coasts, long free of summer ice, are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. Of the nine planets in our solar system, only Earth has conditions favorable to human life.
1: So, this was in the 1970s. They were scared, they were scaring the hell out of people, the non reverential hell out of people, or scaring the non reverential hell into people. Maybe that would be a better term. Saying a coming ice age. It didn't happen. And so now we're in this thing where we went from global warming, which was we we're going to burn it all up and then they got the fluctuation, they decided to change it to climate change. So I'm going to show another little clip, about five minutes and it's going to summarize global warming. Uh, what people think it is and what people like me think about it. So hold on, we're going to keep going here. We got a lot of ground to cover.
3: Hubris is a Greek word that means dangerously overconfident. Based on my research, hubris fairly describes our current response to the issue of climate change. Here's what many people believe one, the planet is warming catastrophically because of certain human behaviors. Two, thanks to powerful computers, we can project what the climate will be like 20, 40, or even 100 years from now. And three, That if we eliminate just one behavior, the burning of fossil fuels, we can prevent the climate from changing for as long as we like. Each of these presumptions, together the basis of our hubris regarding the changing climate, is either untrue or so far off the mark as to be useless. Yes, it's true that the globe is warming and that humans are exerting a warming influence upon it, but beyond that, to paraphrase a line from the classic movie, The Princess Bride, I do not think the science says what you think it says. For example, government reports state clearly that heat waves in the U.S. are now no more common than they were in 1900. Hurricane activity is no different than it was a century ago. Floods have not increased across the globe over more than 70 years. Greenland's ice sheet isn't shrinking any more rapidly today than it was 80 years ago. Why aren't these reassuring facts better known? Because the public gets its climate information almost exclusively from the media. And from a media perspective, fear sells. Things aren't that bad doesn't sell. Very few people, and that includes journalists who report on climate news, read the actual science. I have. And what the data, the hard science, from the US government and the UN climate reports say is that things aren't that bad. Nor does the public understand the questionable basis of all catastrophic climate change projections, computer modeling. Projecting future climate is excruciatingly difficult. Yes, there are human influences, but the climate is complex. Anyone who says that climate models are just physics either doesn't understand them or is being deliberately misleading. I should know. I wrote one of the first textbooks on computer modeling. While modelers base their assumptions upon both fundamental physical laws and observations of the climate, there's still considerable judgment involved. And since different modelers will make different assumptions, results vary widely among different models. Let's just take one simple but significant assumption modelers must make, the impact of clouds on the climate. Natural fluctuations in the height and coverage of clouds have at least as much of an impact on the flows of sunlight and heat as do human influences. But how can we possibly know global cloud coverage, say, 10, let alone 50 years from now? Obviously, we can't. But to create a climate model, we have to make assumptions. That's a pretty shaky foundation on which to transform the world's economy. And by the way, creating more accurate models isn't getting any easier. In fact, the more we learn about the climate system, the more we realize how complex it is. Rather than admit this complexity, the media, the politicians, and a good portion of the climate science community attribute every terrible storm, every flood, every major fire to climate change. Yes, we've always had these weather events in the past, the narrative goes, but somehow climate change is making everything worse. Even if that were true, isn't the relevant question, how much worse? Not to mention that worse is not exactly a scientific term. And how would we make it better? For the alarmists, that's easy. We get rid of fossil fuels. Not only is this impractical, we get over 80% of the world's energy from fossil fuels. It's not scientifically possible. That's because CO2 doesn't disappear from the atmosphere in a few days like, say, smog it hangs around for a really long time. About 60% of any CO2 that we emit today will remain in the atmosphere 20 years from now. Between 30 and 55% will still be there after a century. And between 15 and 30% will remain after a thousand years. In other words, it takes centuries for the excess carbon dioxide to vanish from the atmosphere. And so any partial reduction in carbon dioxide emissions would only slow the increase in human influences, not prevent it, let alone reverse it. CO2 is not a knob that we can just turn down to fix everything. We don't have that ability. To think that we do is, well, hubris.
1: Hubris. We got a lot of that going on. Now, to fear to have a whole population of Christians, in fact, believing in climate change and believing that the world is going to come to an end if we get rid of if we don't get rid of fossil fuels and all this other stuff is to go against the bible and we're going to get there more significantly but i have one more video i want to show you in which it talks about 32 different predictions since 1958 the climate uh, people said were going to happen scaring the hell out of people but i think that if we as Christians are gonna base our life on the expectations of what man said, then we should put these men to the same test that we put the prophets of old to. And the prophets of old, we had we had them, uh, uh, there was a test, and I'm gonna give it to you. Let me see where the hell I put it. Uh, oh. Well, I didn't pull one up. Hold on a second. I'll just pull it up because I want everybody to be able to see what I'm talking about. Uh, well, forget it. I won't put it up. Look, I'll read it Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 20 through 22. It said, but the prophet who dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded, and I'm not saying that these people are speaking in God's name, um, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that may be true, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. I'm not saying that these people were prophets of God. I'm not saying these people were speaking for God. I'm saying these people want us to change our whole position in life and belief and what God told us to do based on what they said and what they claim is going to happen. And the question is, were their claims true? Well, let's look at some. Let's look at 32, in fact, and see if it was true. They got us changing our whole life for or want us to.
0: Now, let's begin our journey in October of 1958. That was when the New York Times published an article in which they wrote this, quote, Some scientists estimate that the polar ice pack is 40% thinner and 12% less in area than it was a half century ago, and that even within the lifetime of our children, the Arctic Ocean may open, enabling ships to sail over the North Pole. At the time, the article mentioned, the Arctic ice sheet was about seven feet thick, which was again in 1958. And today, when we look at today's data, it's still about seven feet thick. Then we can fast forward to November of 1967, and here's what the Salt Lake City Tribune reported on the issue of the coming famine. Quote, It is already too late for the world to avoid a long period of famine. Now, this article was citing the work of Mr. Paul Ehrlich who was a Stanford University biologist, and his prediction was that by the year 1975, there will be global famines due to overpopulation. According to this report, he went so far as to propose lacing both the food supply as well as the water drinking supplies here in America with sterilization chemicals in order to cut down on the growing population. And by the way, this worry of too many people was on top of another worry at this particular time, the coming Ice Age. For instance, in April of 1970, here is what the Boston Globe reported, quote, Scientists predict a new ice age by the 21st century. Citing a pollution expert named James Lodge, the Boston Globe continued by writing this, quote, Air pollution may obliterate the sun and cause a new ice age in the first third of the new century. And these predictions of a coming ice age just continued to roll on. In July of 1971, a report in the Washington Post, this time citing a NASA scientist, it wrote this, quote, The world could be as little as 50 or 60 years away from a disastrous new ice age. Which is funny, given the fact that 50 years from 1971 is pretty much exactly today. Then, in December of 1972, you had two geologists from Brown University who wrote a highly publicized letter to President Nixon, saying that, quote, a conference attended by 42 top American and European investigators concluded a global deterioration of climate by order of magnitude larger than any hitherto experienced by civilized mankind is a very real possibility and indeed may be due very soon the present rate of cooling seems fast enough to bring glacial temperatures in about a century, if continuing at the present pace. Then you fast forward about a year and a half to January of 1974, and here was what was written in the Guardian newspaper. Quote, space satellites show new ice age coming fast. Then five months later in June of 1974, a story in Time Magazine, well, it asked a very similar question. Quote, another ice age? Telltale signs are everywhere. From the unexpected persistence and thickness of pack ice in the waters around Iceland to the southward migration of a warmth-loving creature like the armadillo from the Midwest. And this trend of predicting a uh, coming ice age continued for the next four years. For instance, in January of 1978, here is what was written in the New York Times. Quote, an international team of specialists has concluded from eight indexes of climate that there is no end in sight to the cooling trend of the last 30 years, at least in the northern hemisphere. However, it appears that an end to the trend was in sight, because just a year later, yeah. that very same newspaper, meaning the New York Times, was reporting the exact opposite. Here's one of their stories from February of 1979, which is again a year from the previous one we just read. Quote, There is a real possibility that some people now in their infancy will live to a time when the ice at the North Pole will have melted, a change that would cause swift and perhaps catastrophic changes in climate. Then, three years later, in May of 1982, the New York Times even gave a potential date for this coming collapse. In a story where they were citing the executive director of the United Nations Environmental Program, here's what they wrote. Quote, If the world didn't change course, it would face an environmental catastrophe which will witness devastation as complete, as irreversible as any nuclear holocaust by the year 2000. There were other predictions which came and went as well. For instance, in September of 1988, there was a report in AFP which said that the island nation of the Maldives was at risk of becoming completely covered by a quote, gradual rise in average sea level in 30 years and that the end of the Maldives and its people could come sooner if drinking water supplies dry up by 1992 as predicted. And just for your reference, the Maldives are still not underwater and instead they're actually thriving and developing. Just last week, there was in fact a $148 million contract that was issued to build 120 new luxurious beachfront villas over in the Maldives, an island that, according to this article at least, should be underwater by now. Regardless, these predictions just didn't stop. In June of 1989, which by the way is the same month as the Tiananmen Square Massacre, the San Jose Mercury News, they reported this, quote, A senior environmental official at the United Nations, Noel Brown, says entire nations could be wiped off the face of the Earth by rising sea levels if global warming is not reversed by the year 2000. Then we fast forward to the year 2000, and even though many of these earlier predictions didn't quite pan out, Well, they were replaced by new predictions. For instance, in March of 2000, here was what an article in The Independent said about, specifically, the UK. Quote, Snowfalls are now just a thing of the past. Children just aren't going to know what snow is. Within a few years, winter snowfall would become a very rare and exciting event. For your reference, it still snows in the UK pretty much every winter, especially in the middle and northern part of the country. Regardless, let's fast forward another year to December of 2001, and here is what a story from the Albuquerque Journal said Quote, The changes in climate could potentially extirpate the sugar maple industry in New England within 20 years, according to George Hurt, co author of a 2001 global warming report commissioned by the U.S. Congress. For your reference, 22 years after that report, and New England still produces plenty of maple syrup to this day. Then we fast forward another three years to February of 2004, where a story within the Guardian newspaper exposed, quote, a secret Pentagon report that predicted climate change will lead to nuclear war, major European cities will sink into the ocean, and Britain would descend into Siberian climate by the year 2020. And as we mentioned earlier, although it does still snow in Britain, by the year 2020, it was nothing like the climate of Siberia. Regardless, we fast forward another two years, and in January of 2006, the Associated Press, while paraphrasing Al Gore, they wrote this, quote, unless drastic measures to reduce greenhouse gases are taken within the next 10 years, the world will reach a point of no return. Then the following year, in November of 2007, the New York Times quoted the head of the United Nations Climate Panel, who said this, quote, this year was the defining moment of the climate change fight. If there is no action before 2012, that's too late. In that same month, Canada's CanWest News Service, while paraphrasing another polar researcher, they wrote this, quote, The Arctic Ocean could be free of ice in the summer, as soon as 2010 or 2015, something that hasn't happened in more than a million years. And this Arctic Ocean without ice prediction began to gain traction. For instance, the next month, in December of 2007, here was a story in the Associated Press citing a NASA scientist, Quote, Arctic sea ice gone in summer within five years? At this rate, the Arctic Ocean could be nearly ice-free at the end of summer by 2012. In that same month, by the way, the BBC they had a slightly different prediction, citing another climate expert. Here's what the BBC wrote, quote, Arctic summers ice-free by 2013? Our prediction of 2013 for the removal of ice in the summer is not accounting for the last two minima in 2005 and 2007. So given that fact, you can argue that maybe our projection of 2013 is already too conservative. Then, a few months later, in March of 2008, you had Xinhua, which is China's official propaganda mouthpiece, citing a Norwegian official who wrote this, quote, If Norway's average temperature this year equals that in 2007, the ice cap in the Arctic will all melt away, which is highly possible judging from current conditions. For your reference, Norway's average temperature did actually slightly increase from the year 2007 to the year 2008, But the ice did not melt. Regardless, a month later, in April of 2008, there was a report in New Scientist magazine which was citing the director of the National Snow and Ice Data Center, and they wrote this. The North Pole could be ice-free in 2008. There is this thin first-year ice even at the North Pole at the moment. That raises the specter, the possibility that you could become ice-free at the North Pole this year. And these ice predictions just kept piling on. For instance, in June of 2008, you had the National Geographic News, it's a news outlet, citing an environmental scientist writing this, quote, We're actually projecting this year that the North Pole may be free of ice for the first time in history. In that same month, the Associated Press, paraphrasing a NASA scientist this time, wrote this, quote, In five to ten years, the Arctic will be free of ice in the summer. Then, just a year later, you have probably one of the most famous predictions that have been made. USA Today, citing the former U.S. Vice President, Mr. Al Gore, they wrote this, quote, The Arctic Ocean may be nearly ice-free in the summer as early as 2014. And again, these predictions just kept snowballing. No pun intended. In summer of 2012, The Australian wrote this, quote, Enjoy snow now. By 2020, it'll be gone. In July of 2013, you had The Guardian, quote, Ice-free Arctic in two years heralds methane catastrophe, says a scientist. Then in August of 2017, you had The Sydney Morning Herald, quote, Snowy retreat, climate change puts Australia's ski industry on a downhill slope. For the last one, by the way, the weather data shows that over in Australia it's been snowing quite as usual in recent years. Then we get to January of 2018, and this was when a Forbes article citing a Harvard University professor wrote this quote, the chance that there will be any permanent ice left in the Arctic after the year 2022 is essentially zero. For your reference, even though the odds were against it, at this very moment, there is about 5.6 million square miles of Arctic sea ice. Then, in June of 2018, Ms. Greta Thunberg, the young climate activist, she shared a story on Twitter which was titled this, quote, Top climate scientist says humans will go extinct if we don't fix climate change by 2023. To which Greta added this, quote, A top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. Now, for some odd reason, Greta decided to delete that particular tweet earlier this year. And she was not the only one that had to delete her earlier prediction. That's because in January of 2020, Glacier National Park had to remove one of their signs because that sign claimed that all the glaciers would be melted away by the year 2020 which would be an awkward thing to read in the year 2020 when you can still see the glacier in the background. Then in December of 2021, the LA Times ran a story with this headline, quote, a no snow California could come sooner than you think. Interestingly enough, a few weeks after this article was published, researchers over at UC Berkeley announced that California actually had the snowiest December on record. Regardless, though, a year later, in August of 2022, Bloomberg reported this, quote, the end of snow threatens to upend 76 million American lives. However, it's worth noting that just a few months later, the Sierra Nevada mountains saw their second snowiest winter on record. And then, of course, right now, right at this moment, California is getting blasted with a bomb cyclone with record levels of snow coming down, quite literally, as we speak. Now, let's begin our journey in October.
1: Well i mean it speaks for itself these people they don't know what they're talking about and they scare people because people aren't trusting god and let's go and see what god says in the time that we have remaining oh man let's go back to genesis what did god say he told man he said, God blessed them to my man and woman and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and kibosh, subdue it. God gave us everything in the earth to use. He gave us the minerals. He gave us the, the fossil fuels. He gave all that stuff. And he said to fill the earth. I want somebody to show me one scripture where God said that after some time, there's too many people. There's not enough resources. Somebody show me that somewhere, even after the flood, God said the same thing. Uh, Let's go on. Let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 8, verse 15 through 22. Then God spoke to Noah, go out of the ark. And you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you. Birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. When did God ever stop the animals from procreating or tell them to limit themselves? So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelt the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his, let me keep you guys up with me, from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Pay attention to this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. This is God's promise. We're going to have all the seasons. The earth is not going to get destroyed by man. You know, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 9, 1, and fill the earth. Now, let's go from Genesis 9, 7 to 17. Sorry, to 7. As you, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. He's reiterating it again. Fill the earth. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, now, behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And and check this out. This is this is very interesting. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the cattle and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, every even every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the waters of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bowl in the cloud and it shall be for you for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. The covenant is not even just between God and man. It's between God and everything. He said, it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And, Never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh. That is on the earth. God made a covenant not just with man, <laughs> he made a covenant with everything on the earth. Let's keep going because I'm running out of time and I'm trying to get this information into you. Okay, let me go on to Job. I want to I want to get to Job. Because I want to talk about, see, we keep minimizing God. When, when Job was going through all the hell he was going through, and then God finally talked to him, and look what God said to Job. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who fixes dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? or who laid its cornerstone. Wow, uh, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who enclosed the sea behind doors? When it burst from the womb, when I made the clouds his garment and thick darkness his blanket. When I determined his boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared you may come this far, but no further. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or a sign dawn is placed so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. I'm trying to keep up with me. It's heels out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all this, where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead it back to its border? And you're going to tell me man can do something with God doesn't want. Let's continue with Joe. Are you familiar with the paths to his home? Don't you know you were already born? You have lived so long. God can be real sarcastic when he wants to. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Or have you seen the storehouses of hell, which I hold in reserve for time of trouble? For the day of warfare and battle, what roads lead to the place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain? (laughs) Look, I can continue with Job, but I'm gonna stop here. I think the point is well made. God is in control. Now, I'm gonna show you why. One other thing. When God said, that he was not going to destroy the earth. The seed, time, and harvest is going to always be here. I'm going to show you one definitive thing I know based on the word of God, why man can't destroy it. And that anyone is going around acting like man can't doesn't know what he's talking about, and he doesn't have faith in God. I mean, he doesn't have faith in what the word says. Let's go to Second Peter. Let's go, here we go, look at this, Second Peter chapter 3 starting at verse 3, this is very important, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at the time was destroyed. Remember the flood and God's promise that he wasn't going to destroy the world by water again remember that now pay attention being flooded with water but by his word the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire but by his word the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire kept what did you say For the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. There is no place in the Bible where God tells us to quit being fruitful and multiplying. There's no place in the Bible where God tells us that we're going to run out of supplies. The Methusian doctrine was in error because the more people that came into the world, the more supplies came into the world. Innovation came with more people. They don't talk about overpopulation no more. You don't hear that stuff. or Certainly you don't hear about the old ice age, but you you don't hear about the the, the stuff that they were scared to death about about the old overpopulation. Why aren't they talking about that? Now they're trying to scare you. Oh, with the climate. First it was climate change. Well, excuse me. I, I went through the whole scenario, right? But God said the world is being reserved but do not let this one fact escape your notice beloved that with the lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day the lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but his patience towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance and I say come to repentance and trusting God that he's going to take care of us until he calls us home. And, you know, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. I don't know how God wants to burn it up. I don't know if he's going to use nations to kill each other, but it's not going to happen until he gets ready. But it says that he's going to, he reserved the world and he's going to destroy it by fire. And I'm just going to trust what he said. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt away with intense heat. The heavens. That don't sound like something that we could do, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And God is looking for people to be faithful to him and his word. I showed you 32 lies, 32 examples that never came true. And these people want to trust in this stuff. These people want to believe in this stuff. These people want to base their life, call call themselves trusting God. But they trust in man. Let me give you these final scriptures. I got time. Let's look at this in psalms 119 89 and 90 lord your word is forever it is firmly fixed in heaven your faithfulness is for all generations you establish the earth and it stands firm i put my trust in that isaiah 45 and 18 for this is what the lord says god is the creator of the heavens He formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh and there is no other. Who are you going to put your trust in? You're going to put your trust in what God said, be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it? Or are you going to put your trust in man? doesn't know what the heck he's talking about this is part one folks next week i'm gonna do part two and i'm calling this part two uh, i forgot the name but it's gonna be about traps and trauma it's gonna be about the 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 so-called solutions that these global warming advocates are offering you know basically they want us to go back to the stone age they want us to give up meat <laughs> except for the elite now they you know they're worthy of meat but God told us to use everything he gave us instead of killing our babies we're be having more You know, when I was growing up also, there was a time where you could have seven to nine babies and one person could take care of the family. That was normal. Don't you think that there's an issue why that's not possible anymore in this country or rarely seen? Think about it. And and you know, whether folks believe me or not, that's irrelevant to me. If you're a Christian, what you should, believe is what god said in his word and the liars about global climate climate change and coming to the end of the world and and getting rid of fossil fuels and all that stuff is antithetical to what god said go back to genesis in the beginning that's where the fear started but before fear god's word told us to be fruitful multiply and subdue the earth this is sam tolly and I am out if I can find my way. Thank you. God bless you.